Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 234. The way that I was raised and the things my father told me at the time, it was very small and kind of a funny thing to tell a little girl, but you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, if, you, if you're willing to work, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Just, just do it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Tina Van Kieran. Tina, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I certainly am. All right. Great to have you here. Tina Van Kieran is the owner of Autobooks Aerobooks in Burbank, California. Autobooks was established in 1951 and is known worldwide as the resource and meeting place for collectors, racers, and enthusiasts of all types. Tina grew up in Southern California in a family of car guys while at UC Riverside getting a BA and MA in economics. She discovered Riverside International Raceway and sports car racing. And during her tenure in the 1990s as president of the Alfa Romeo Owners Club in Southern California, she took the plunge and got involved with vintage racing. She joined VARA and ran an Alfa Spider. In addition to running the bookstore, she's organized the Best of France in Italy show in Los Angeles and the Queen's English-British show as well. Tina, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles. Sure. I mean, I grew up in Southern California, actually in Pasadena. My parents were both born here. I think that has something to do with it. My father built his first car when he was 10. And in fact, his story is that his father brought home a Model T, and his father was not living with him at the time, but he brought the car home for him. And his mother came home from work the next day, and the car was all in pieces all over the driveway. <laughs> Richard, what have you done? He says, I wanted to see how it worked. I'll put it back together, which he did. And then, you know, in those days, he was tall, and, you know, he could get a driver's license at 14 in California. And when he was 11, 12, he was driving, and nobody questioned it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, he put the card, and he, he, he was always doing that. And, of course, I grew up with, you know, him messing with cars and always, you know, watching races and talking about cars. And uh-huh. one of the first things we learned in, on, on a long trip were to identify all the different kinds of cars. Oh, <laughs> very cool. Something to do, you know. And I just I always had an interest in cars. And yeah. my mother used to call it the subject because, you know, my father and her brother, who my uncle, and he had three boys, and I had a brother. And so everybody would talk about cars all the time. 
and I was always interested. And, and then I, you know, I got interested in watching the races. And of course, what really did it was going to UC Riverside yeah. and going out to the track and you know camping out there and sitting up on the roll bar of the MGA watching the race and you mm. know sitting up there inside of Turn Six and watching the Jaguars and the Alphas and stuff go by. Really, you know, really got hooked in a big way as a fan. Oh yeah. And then you know, I, I just never occurred to me that I could actually race until I discovered the Alpha Club and uh, the time trial program and the, and then the vintage racing and I thought you know what got an email one time that said we need alphas for the alpha Porsche challenge and so I called him and I said look if I do all this if I put the roll cage and the fuel system in my car can I race with Vara more than one race can I just be in and they said sure Nice. So I spent about five years doing that. It was great, great fun. Yeah. It was one of those things I never dreamed that I could do it. But then, of course, once you get out there and try it, you're seriously hooked. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, 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 definitely. And Riverside is such an iconic place as well. Oh, yeah. And it just, you know, it's sad that it's gone. But I'm glad I, you know, I, I was there when it was in its heyday. And then I was with the Alpha Club. Their last event there was right before it closed. And everyone's joking, don't go off and turn nine, you'll end up at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> like the week or two before they, they finally closed it, and it was already encroaching on the property. But yeah. it, And that was that was a real inspiration for me because I got, you know, somebody just told me, come on out and, you know, do the, the novice thing. You know, you get, to, you get to ride around with people and you get to do a drive around. You know, you get, you get to sit in a class, kind of see what racetracks are all about. And... I got went out for a ride with a young woman in a Lotus Cortina, and the first the person before me who that she took for a, a just for a little drive around on her practice lap mm-hmm. got out of the car shaking and white and terrified. <laughs> and I said, okay, my turn. About halfway through, I'm like, could you just move over and let me drive? <laughs> How did you do this? This is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, you you got bit hard. I think I can see oh, that. Oh yeah, and I you know I'd always. It's just one of those things. I don't care about football and basketball and all that kind of junk, but Formula One and sports car racing and stuff is interesting and exciting and, of course, being part of it. I'm one of those people that whatever group I get into, I end up not just being a member but doing a lot of work, and that's what happened with the Alpha Club. I joined the club because I ended up with an Alpha Spider. Uh, through a, a long story. But anyway, I ended up with this car, and I thought, well, and my cousin had previously been the president and had one of the people who started the time trial group, but he mm-hmm. wasn't really involved at the time. He said, oh, join the club. You'll know everybody. Well, there was like one guy that I'd ever seen before, but they all got to be friends. And, and you know, but, you know, within a few months, I was, uh, you know, on the board, and then I was president for several years on the time trial board. I mean, this is, I kind of get sucked into these things. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Well, tell me a little bit about Autobooks, Books, your business. Yeah, Autobooks is a, a, a really unusual place. I mean, it is unique. Autobooks was started by a guy named Harry Morrow in 1951. And mainly, he was the one who started the 500cc racing club in Southern California. And he started working on cars and selling manuals. And then he graduated to importing English car magazines. Meanwhile, Harry was the guy that had the keys to Willow Springs. He was a friend of uh, Bill Hoos. And in those days, if you wanted to go out and use the track for a club event or you wanted to go test your car, you'd come by the bookstore. Harry would give you the key on Friday afternoon, then you'd bring it back on Monday. Oh, my gosh. Give you the key to the gate, go out there. Here, Bill said, you know, he, he let him have the racetrack. Okay, go have the racetrack. And there was, I remember the first time I went out there, which was way before I knew Autobooks, there was nothing out there. There was a little wooden booth that they could put an ice chest in and and sell some cokes and there was a, were a couple outhouses and a racetrack and that was it but in the, in the 50s and in the early 60s i mean harry was the guy and and over time he grew from the brit magazines to starting to, to carry more automotive books and there was nobody else that does that mm-hmm. and over time i mean there's no, there still is no place like us 
actually in the world, certainly not in the U.S. And I've had guys come here, like the white fly guys who are from Argentina, who've written all these books on um, Ferrari Argentina, Bugatti Argentina, a lot of stuff. I mean, they're well-connected, serious car guys. Mm-hmm. They came to see me and they said, you know, we've been everywhere, been all over the world. We've never seen, as they call it, a library like this. <laughs> we just got back from France. Bookstores are libraries. Yes. But, you know, the word looks like it's library, whatever. But, you know, it's it's amazing. The place has been here forever. People know it. I'll, I still get guys coming in here and say, I used to come here on my bike when I was in junior high. Oh, my gosh. Retired. They're not in junior high. You know? So it's a true destination location. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you never know who you're going to see. The first weekend when we took over in July of 2007, and it wasn't even a book signing. It was just the regular Saturday, a lot of people there. I'm standing at the front counter talking to this guy, and I kept thinking, gosh, he looks familiar. It was Scooter Patrick. <laughs> yeah, and at the same time, you know, I think Danny, other people were here, other other well-known. Baby Jordan was here, and, and Scooter, and, you know, I think Dick Goldstrand, I and mean, all these guys that just kind of come by, all these old race driver guys. And, yeah. You know, we've had Dan Gurney in here more recently. We, we've had, we had Parnelli Jones in here a couple times. And everybody knows the place, and everybody wants to do the book signings, and they just want to come by. You know, yeah. A, they just, if they're in, the, in town and people from all over the world, you know, I was in L.A., I had to come by here, you know. Yeah, very We've cool. met a ton of neat people. And it's, it's, I feel like, you know, we're sort of custodians of the place. I mean, it's had, Harry owns a store until 1969 or thereabouts, and then he sold it, and shortly after that he, he passed away. And another guy had it for two or three years, and actually he actually went out of business. And then Motorbooks, some guys from Motorbooks uh, came came in and bought it up and saved it. There were three of them, and ultimately, after about 10 years of having a manager out here, because they were all living in Wisconsin, one of them bought the other two out and moved to California and ran the store for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then and, uh, the guy that I bought it from, Chet Knox, had it. He bought it in 2001, and then we bought it in 2007. Very cool. That was, it was really funny. Chet it was retired from several businesses. He used to have a, a header business, and he's, he's always in all kinds of things. He's been a Corvette dealer, and he's mainly an Indy car, midget car guy. Mm-hmm. But he was he bought the store as it was just a hobby. He he was a customer, and he liked it. And his wife was not thrilled. She wanted him. To, he was retired, and she wanted to travel and have fun. She said, "Well, damn it! When you turn eighty, you sell that store." <laughs> and it just happened that the time he turned eighty, I happened to be here. The, it's a good story in itself how we got the store, but here we yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> you're the next, the next caretaker. Well, we're so happy that you're there. You know, as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. And it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning. You've done a great job moving us in a forward direction. So, Tina, take the wheel. Probably the thing that's kept me going and makes me do these things is is just the way that I was raised and the things my father told me at the time. It was very small and kind of a funny thing to tell a little girl, but, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, if, you, if you're willing to work, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Just just do it. Yeah. All it takes is hard work, you know, and don't, don't be afraid. And, you know, I never was given any of those, those, well, you know, you're a girl, so you're going to be a teacher or a nurse and your brother's going to be president. You know, none of that stuff. You well, know? Good for your dad. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because he was that way. You know, he really, I thought he was kidding when I was really small. He used to tell me I should go to law school and I thought it was a joke. It wasn't really a joke. I found out eventually that I didn't want to go to law school, but you know, but how many fathers in, in, you know, in the fifties told their little girls, you should go to law school. Yeah. No, good yeah, for like, him. Oh, you should get married and have babies. You know, like, <laughs> well, good for him. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talk about growing up in a car family, but is there a pivotal moment as you remember it when you really knew you were a car gal? 
probably when I started playing with the Alpha on the track. I mean, before that, I liked cars. I liked racing. And I've always had Alphas, and, and I've had some MGs. You know, I always enjoyed driving them. But I think that really, I knew that, the, you know, I, I've been kind of, for a long time, like, you know, this is fun to do. But when I really, when I first started, when I finally started doing this, and this is like in 90, 90 89, 90, when I ended up with the, the Spider, mm-hmm. not only can I drive around and have fun, but... I can actually drive on the racetrack. You know, this is like, oh, you know, this is what I want to do. And I said, for all these years, I mean, many years after that, as well as before, I've had a lot of different jobs, but primarily I fell into the information technology in industry, and I did project management and program management and all this kind of stuff. And every time I'd get laid off or whatever, have to look for a job, I think, can I do something that I really like? Can I do something with cars? Yeah. And I'd look around. And the only place where I could get a job where I could get a paycheck was back in the computer field. Yeah. I think, okay, you know, I was single for a million years. And well, I better get a job that includes a paycheck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so back I'd go, you know. And it enabled me to race. It enabled me to, you know, own my own houses for years and, and have race cars and all this stuff. When had I been working in an auto parts store, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right. What I'd love to do is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career, or maybe it was on the track, I'm not sure, but the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? I've had a lot of ups and downs, but probably, you know, the bigger ones have been in my career. I mean, early on, actually, probably the biggest crisis, I'd like to forget, I had been working in corporate jobs for quite some time. And an opportunity came up. I don't remember how it all started, but a friend of mine who turned out to be not a business person, mm-hmm. he and I bought a flower shop in Hollywood. Oh. And it was great fun. But one of the reasons I dove into it was I thought, okay, I don't have to go back to the corporate world because my father's business, which I had worked in since I was a kid, mm-hmm. he owned a plumbing business in Westwood. But I, I knew that my father was going to retire soon. And there had been conversations. I figured, I'll, you know, I'll run this business. I'll get some business experience. And in a couple of years, I will take over the plumbing business. Because the flower business, you don't make any money. But it was a lot of fun. And I had a lot of fun. And it was at a time in my life when I really needed it. I'd been working at Arco. I remember I used to look out the window of the 43rd floor of the Arco Tower, look out at, at and so wonder, is there life down there on the ground? It was a terrible... <laughs> Everybody was unhappy. The boss was a jerk. It was a rotten place to work. Yeah. And then when I left there, I ended up getting into the, you know what, this is wonderful. Now I'm down here on, you know, this is Raymond Chandler's L.A. I'm down here on the ground with real people, a lot of weirdos. It was Hollywood, you know, but it was great fun. And then I made a success of it, but it's not, you know, you're never going to get rich with a flower shop. Mm-hmm. And I reached that point where, you know, the only way to really take the next step was to be able to expand and have branches, which means somebody has to then provide you with a hell of a lot of money, which wasn't about to happen. But that's okay. I forget what the heck. You know, I'm, I will sell the store and, you know, then I will take over my father's business. And when all my father decided to retire, he finally called me and my brother over and said, well, I got, I'm going to explain to you what's happening. And he had decided that this other guy that had been working for him, who was the son of one of his childhood friends, mm-hmm. that he was going to turn the business over to him and that he was going to buy it out over time and oh. stuff like that. So there I was like, oh, wonderful. Now what do I do? Because it is very difficult to get back into this. The corporate world is stupid, and, and as you well know, in many, many, many ways. And one of the, one of the many things that, that is ridiculous is that they look upon anyone who has been self-employed, even if you were very successful, they look upon that as, as a fault. Yep. This is, you know, they, they don't want you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd think they would say, all right, if you have ambition and you were disciplined enough and clever enough to make a success of a business, which you then, for whatever reason, sold or whatever, you didn't go broke, you know, you had a business, you had a, whatever you did, you know, you'd think they would look upon that as showing initiative and showing creativity and right. all that kind of stuff. No, it's, you're not a team player. You're not one of us. 
Yeah, you're not a robot. Exactly. And I never really wanted to be one. I mean, I worked at ARCO for five years, and it was a good experience. Everyone should do that, that kind of stuff at a big corporation in the financial area and we're corporate controller. I mean, but people in those days, especially everybody, people, most people would get out of college, get a job at a place like that, and work there until they retired. Five years of that was way enough for me. I mean, it was a good experience. I learned something, and you learn how those places work, and there are things you learn about how big businesses work that have stockholders and stuff. But it's, it's stuff, good stuff to know, and it does help you in small business. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments you've had in your career along the way. I like to say it's a time when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a direction that you had. And tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success. The biggest change that I've made, the biggest step we've taken is to buy the bookstore. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't on the horizon at all. I mean, I had, I had jobs at the time I was working for a woman that I politely called a wicked witch, mm-hmm. who well, I was managing her business, but she, you know, and, and doing a lot of things that none of her previous people had ever done, like, you know, set up all of her computer systems and stuff, but she did not appreciate any of this. But it was an internet business. I learned a lot about how to run an online business. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I can see, I kept thinking, you know, I can do this. I'm running her business. I should be able to do something, but what can I do and how do I get started? And it was just kind of in the back of my mind. I knew I wasn't going to stay with her too long if one of us would kill the other, <laughs> but it was close to home. And it was like, yeah, you know. And then it just happened. I used to run a group for like 15 years. I ran a local group that was just simply called Car Night. It's Thursday night get-together garage parties, roving garage party. Mm-hmm. I, now, the typical, I used to go, and then after a year or so of being just part of the gang that met every Thursday, the guy that had been doing it for a long time, who started it, decided, he, he called a few of us, like five or six, and said, come on over, you know, have a glass of wine, I want to talk, you know, I really need some help, I want somebody else to start helping me do this. And we all said, sure. Well, I got the typical, I got there a little bit late, and all the guys said, oh, well, since you were late, we took a vote, and you're the next president, you're it, you're running it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So I did that. But, you know, so I met a lot of people that way, but we were having one of those things at the bookstore. And I thought Chet was somebody I knew. He wasn't my buddy. I just, you know, knew him. I'd spoken to him many times. And I just walked in. I said, hey, Chet, how are you? And he says, oh, I'm fine. He says, you know, I'm going to sell the store. And I said, you're what? And so I'm like, you know, I never thought about being able to buy a business and get into it that way. And I'm like, I mean, this isn't, this is a whole lot bigger than my flower shop and all that kind of, you know, this is a whole different world here. But I thought about it. You know, I talked to him about it a little bit. And then I thought, you know, this, this is perfect. This is me. This is where I belong. I can do this. How are we going to do it? And luckily, I talked to my husband, and I thought he was going to say, don't be silly. But I said, look, come on, because he's very conservative. He's an engineer. He's been working. Now he's been working at one company for about almost 20 years. But he's always been, he's an aircraft engineer. He's very bright. And he, he's also very disciplined and conservative. He used to, there was something I wanted, a couple of times I've talked about doing something, and he would, I remember getting an email saying, your cautious and conservative partner. Meaning, <laughs> yeah. that was the way he was saying, no, we're not going to do whatever goofball thing it is you want to do. Uh-uh. So I figured he was going to say, don't be ridiculous. And we didn't know how much he wanted or anything. I said, come on. I said, let's, let's at least go talk to him and find out what he wants and see if there's any way in the world we can do it. So I have no idea how much money he wants or anything. So yeah. we had several discussions with him. And as it turned out, he really he wanted it to go to somebody that he, that he thought could do it right. And he had some other people that were from a publisher that, that were talking to him, but they promised to come visit him, and then they didn't come. And he was like, you know, he didn't want to deal with them anyway. And he really he, he liked us, and he just thought, you know what? He helped us make it happen. I and mean, we yeah. had to come up with a bunch of money. but And it was a big, big leap of faith for us. And I said, my husband still works at his regular job, which is a very good thing. Uh-huh. But he's in here on Saturdays, and he loves it. He's a car guy. Yeah. We've only been married since 2001. So it's not like we've been, you know, been doing this forever. But in any case, it, the, the combination, of, it was just the right circumstance. And it was, it was a matter of, you know, he, and he had the faith in me to say, yeah, sure, you can run that. I'll do this. I can figure this out. 
And it's turned out it's, it's been perfect. I mean, it's, unfortunately, <laughs> the economy has not been perfect. I mean, the first year we did really well. It took me about that long to get them online, too. And, of course, part of my, my great plan was that we would put everything online and double our business. Well, that didn't work. I mean, everything is finally online, and we do sell quite a bit online, but it has nothing like what I had hoped to do. And part of that's the economy, and part of that's Amazon. You know. Of course. But but I've had, you know, it's it's been a really good thing for both of us, and we, and it's been an entree to many things. You know, we get press passes for Pebble Beach and stuff like that. And just meeting all these interesting people. Yeah. You know, and, and going interesting places that we probably wouldn't have done before. You know. Oh, fantastic. I love it. Well, how about proudest business moments? Is there one that stands out for you? Probably when I was, I, I was doing program management just because it was a step up from being a clerk and it was a lot of responsibility and there were some customers that that really I mean big companies that that were telling the world we're happy to have her and we're going to buy from you because of her and Mm -hmm. you know just proving proving to me and proving to everybody else that I could do it because of course being a slightly unconventional person and being a woman in a man's world I mean most of my career and even here you know Mm -hmm. you know I always had to prove myself and there were always those who were you know when they want to talk to you you're a girl you know (laughs) (laughs) it's funny when we took over the store and I must admit I was very happy with that at first you know there are two guys working here and they were sort of you know they met me and Chuck and then they sort of they learned that Chuck was not going to be the manager of the store that I was going to be the manager of the store and they weren't even going to see him except on Saturday and at first of course it was like oh yeah really I remember one of the guys, he was really, he's kind of a grouchy guy anyway, and he was sort of, you could tell he was very skeptical. And then after a while, it hadn't been very long, when somebody came in and asked for something about a Marcos, or he says, hey, Tina, you ever heard of a car called a Marcos? I said, yeah, sure, they're English, and my friend used to do the interiors for them, and there's a book on it right there, and he kind of fainted. And after that, he had more, I got more respect. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, absolutely. the customers too, all the old, old guys that come in here, you know, the first time they walked in and saw a female here, they kind of went, huh? But... You know, in fact, it's very funny. Now, in the last since last August, I have my assistant here is Anna, who's a woman, who's a friend of mine, who's mm-hmm. learning a lot about cars. And it's funny how people seem to be just fine with it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now they're getting used to it. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? Oh, probably my MGA. And what was it about that car that was so special for you? It was a real sports car. I mean, I'd had the MG 1100s, which are my first cars, and before that, I'd driven my parents' big cars. You know. mm-hmm. But this was—it was mine, and it was a sports car. And eventually, I even got to paint it the color I wanted. But for the first couple of years, it was just—it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I—I I, I met some other people. I was going go to the races. I'd go out to the racetrack, and we'd sit on the roll bar and watch the race. But you know, I met car guys, and they would look at my car and go, "Well, if she can drive that. Maybe we can talk to her." You know. And we—we we used to sneak out. I had a friend that had a TR had a, a Spitfire and his other buddy had an MGB and the three of us would sneak out onto the go-kart track outside of Riverside late at night and zip around. <laughs> you, just, you know, have a lot of fun like that. You know, to do some of the slaloms. My brother had an MG midget. He's younger than I am by a little bit. He had a midget and, and our cousin who's in between us had a, an Alpha Julieta and we used to go down to the down to the harbor and do the slaloms and stuff. Uh-huh. It was just really fun. It made me a real car person. I mean, I get going it's really funny for when I on the freeway having some guys in a Sunbeam Tiger try to challenge me to a drag race. <laughs> like, okay, we'll do this, but you're going to win. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, the Tiger might beat the MGA just a little bit. Just a little. But, it, they, just, but they were at least, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm part of the, I'm one of the guys. Now they're giving me this, let's go. Like, okay, let's go. <laughs> oh, gosh. How about vehicles that you've let go? Is there one in particular you've had in your life that you really wish you could have back? 
I had a Julia spider, a 1600 Veloce spider that I had for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we did, did a full resto on it and everything and sold it for what I thought was a lot of money and it's worth three times that now. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things. It was a great car. That and, of course, the race car. But then again, you know, you have a race car, but once you have a race car, you're committed to it and it's, you know, going out on, on the weekends and hauling it around on the trailer. And I can't run a bookstore and do that. So. <laughs> I understand. Now, here's a really introspective question for you. If you were a car... What kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> There's one for you. Yeah, I'm waiting Actually, for this one. Actually, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of odd. I'm just thinking probably something like the Lancia Aurelia Spider. Ooh. Definitely a convertible and Italian. Mhm. I'm I'm enough, there's enough Italian in me that it has to be Italian. Just something like that, something sporty and a little quirky, a little different, but definitely capable fast enough to have fun you know, yeah. and unusual enough that everybody isn't going to know what it is and you aren't going to see yourself coming and going. <laughs> I like that. That's a great answer. I love it. <laughs> Just hit, hit me right now. <laughs> well, Tina, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at carpegear.com where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Tina, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And you know what that means. The white flag is out. You've been on the track. Time to put your foot into it. And this is where I... Here I go. Here you go. And, And this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy the best car you can for what you have to spend. (laughs) Great advice. Very wise. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I'm very organized and I'm really very driven. I mean, I I decide to start something, I will finish it. (laughs) I believe you. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? I know there are so many out there, but is there one in particular you think the Car Chat listeners would really enjoy? Oh, it depends on what you're doing. If you're buying and selling sports car market, if you just want to get educated, read the Automobile Quarterlies. Everyone you pick up, there's four things in there. And you look in the index, I want to read about this car. And then you pick up the, that issue and you read that article. And then you go, oh, what's this and what's this and what's this? And there's probably something in there you've never heard of. And three other things that are fascinating that you didn't know about cars you've probably heard of. If we could only get that book back up and publishing again. Oh, I know. I want to know where the archives went. Oh. Funny. I mean, everybody's got, not everybody, but lots of people have shelves full of them. Oh, Anytime I do you're too. a little bored, pick one up and you'll learn three, three, about three new cars. Yeah, and you can find them on eBay. I've bought old issues on eBay. So, yeah. How about books? Now, this is going to be a hard one for you. I know. You run yeah. a bookstore. <laughs> but I have to ask you, if there's one book that you would suggest to the Cars Yeah readers, what would it be? 
unfortunately, there is no such thing as what Jay calls the big book O cars. Yeah. I mean, there are those things, but those are coffee table books, and there, there's one sentence on every car they can think of, and you really, it's, you don't learn anything. Right, if right. You, want, want ref, you, know, you need a good reference book, a good history book on the mark you love. I'll ask it this way, because I realize how hard this is, especially for the business you're in, but let's say something new that's out that just recently in the last week you've picked up and looked at it and said, wow, that's nice. Well, of course, the, the new book on Riverside Raceway. There you go. Okay. Pete Lyons' book on Riverside yep. International Raceway. And if, if anybody was there, you need it. And if you never heard of it before, you need to know about all these things. And it's yeah. all, you, know, goes, you, you learn about a whole lot of people and a whole lot of, lot of racing. Pete's been a guest here on Cars, yeah. And uh, yes, get your hands on that book for sure. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at com slash Tina Van Curen. And Tina's last name is C-U-R-E. N. All right, Tina, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today I'm going to write the check, what car would that be and why? The one I really fell in love with when they were only under 100 grand and I thought it was expensive, which is the Ferrari 250 California Spider. And it's mm. the only Ferrari I'd ever want, but the California Spider in yellow. That is the ultimate sporty car <laughs> and i fell in love with them the first time i saw one i thought wow and i'd seen a lot of other fries i went that's it that's my car what is it about that car that just tugs on your heart it's beautiful it's quintessential italian sports car i mean the styling is great and i know it goes like hell and makes a great 12 cylinder noise yeah and of course now it's ridiculous everybody was raging with a two million dollar car oh <laughs> uh, yeah but if somebody gave it to me i'd drive it and i would drive it i don't care how much it's worth i would not keep it in the garage oh i love and that look at it <laughs> yes well good i like that i hate cars to just sit around in garages it's- no and there are people that buy them to, sh- to to claim that they have them rather than to use them not me got a car cars need to be driven and depending on how delicate they are, you may have to watch where you're going, but you still have to take them somewhere. Absolutely. They're, they're best exercised like a fine horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Alphas do not take kindly to sitting around. Neither do No, most cars don't. Point, you know? Most cars yeah. don't. Tina, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yacht listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari California Spider? I guess the best thing I can tell anybody is if you want to do something, you can find a way to do it. Do it. Don't don't wait. Don't keep waiting for somebody to, to hand it to you and then find that you're too old to care. Just follow your dream. And you have to be a little reasonable in life, but it doesn't mean you have to be bored and so conservative or so lazy that you get nowhere. Just you want something, go for it. Go for it. I love it. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about your business and you? to come by and see us at Autobooks in Burbank or to go to our website, which is autobooks-aerobooks.com. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything we've talked about here at carsyad.com. Just put Tina in the search box and her show notes page will pop right up with all the links to her business. And if you're in Burbank, my goodness, go buy this iconic place and check it out it's amazing but if you can't get there you can see everything online it's a wonderful journey there as well tina thank you for being so generous with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners i knew this was going to be fun until we talk again i'll see you down the road thank you for everything you're welcome thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at cars yeah Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!